You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Hello and welcome to TFM's local correctional facility. I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and I'm so excited to have back with me Two supervillains that, well, I mean, I don't know if we call them super. I mean, maybe just more like run-of-the-mill, maybe C-D-list villains, but I'm glad they're back. Um, It's been so long, and I'm so glad this gentleman is here with us tonight. The one, the only Tristan Riddell. Hello, I'm here. I, uh, you'll have to forgive me. Uh, I My arm's detached, and I haven't been able to put them back in. So, uh, hopefully, I won't, uh, at least I won't bump my mic, but... We'll have to deal with that later. Ah, that's true. So you're the TDK. That's what they call me. I don't know why, but that's why they call me that. Yeah, I mean, it's just letters. It's fine. Um, and uh, I'm really excited to have back this gentleman, our personal own John Cena, John Mills. I love podcasting, and I don't care how many men, women, and children <laughs> I have to kill to do it. <laughs> that, that line, like, regardless of how I felt about the character, that may have been his best line in the movie. Like it was just I think probably with with it John was, admitting that about yeah, it's, podcasting, it's, it, it usually follows the words. Yes, Your yeah. Honor, that's this is Exhibit A. <laughs> hey, <laughs> exactly. Isolate it. We have it recorded. Yeah, let's make it a tagline on the show. There you go. <laughs> well, before we get going, of course, we'll be talking about the Suicide Squad tonight from James Gunn, and uh, we'd like to say uh, you know, thank you for listening. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, please give us a star rating review. Help people continue to find the show. You, of course, we're all over, though. So wherever you're listening, just make sure you're subscribed and you'll get the shows as soon as they drop. You can also find us over on Twitter at The 602 Club. We're on Instagram at The 602 Club TFM. We'd appreciate your follow. We love interacting with listeners from all over the world there. Of course, at Trek.fm, where you can find the entire network. We've got the listeners-only discussion group called the Babel Conference. You can join and talk to listeners from all over the world there. And maybe you'd like to send us an email. And Christy and I love getting emails, so go to Trek.fm slash contact. Choose the show, choose the 602 Club, uh, and that email will come to us. And of course, uh, we'd like to say a huge thank you to our associate producers that make sure that this show keeps coming to you here, uh, the 602 Club, as well as the entire network through Patreon. Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah. Guys, if you love the network, please go over there and support us. We could definitely use your help, and every little bit does help. So again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. So guys... I wanted to start off here because it has been, it has actually been five years since the Suicide Squad, since the first Suicide Squad movie came out. Um, And I just kind of wanted to start off here, which is, what is your relationship with the original? And because of that, did you have any excitement coming into the Suicide Squad, the definite article? I, uh, oof. Well, with, with Suicide Squad, the one in 2016... I was I was stoked. Like I when 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 we when that first trailer came out, I was like, "Oh man, yes, this is going to be great. This is going to be um it came out after Guardians of the Galaxy, right? I think, right? 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. I okay. So I, I was thinking like this is going to be a darker Guardians of the Galaxy. This will be cool. Like this is kind of like DC's team up for the offbeat humor and violence and everything like that. And I just was getting more and more stoked with like the marketing material, the music, everything behind it. And then, but as more and more trailers came out, I was like, oh man, like this might not be as cool as I thought it was going to be. And when I went to go see it in in the theater, I was like, you know, like parts of it I really liked and parts of it I really hated. And when I left the theater, I was trying to convince myself that I liked it. I was like, no, I liked it. It was good. It just had some bad parts. And the more I watched it, the more my enjoyment just, you know, plummeted. And so that's kind of where I left Suicide Squad. And when I found out that James Gunn was going to do The Suicide Squad and it was going to be a soft reboot. And I actually was, you know, before, you know, this movie, you know, was a twinkle in James Gunn's eye. You know, I compared it to like a darker version of Guardians of the Galaxy. I was like, who better than to to helmet than than Mr. Gunn himself? So that's that's kind of where I was with Suicide Squad and going into this one. Yeah, I I think I had roughly the same sort of uh, feeling to it. I was I was actually excited because it was coming out around my birthday. I saw the first trailer. I thought it looked really edgy and interesting. Uh, as more material came out, I got a little more standoffish. And my reaction coming out of the theater with the original Suicide Squad was it was there. I didn't I didn't have like a vitriolic hate for it, but I didn't really see any reason to come back to it at any point in the future. And I think I've rewatched it once, possibly twice in the intervening time. And both times it was roughly the same reaction of this is a mess and not really cohesive. And I, I did kind of grow to hate the ending. Uh, I, I did not care for how the movie ended um, just in terms of the big you know, conflagration at the end sort of thing. And so when this came around, uh, you know, to echo Tristan, it was like, Oh, well, okay. James Gunn doing the suicide squad. That sounds like sort of a slam dunk, but I was still a little standoffish because my, thought was he got picked up when he had been fired while developing guardians of the galaxy three. So I guess it's sort of baked in a little bit of fear of, Oh no, is this just going to be him working out the things he wanted to do with that one? But, and so there's sort of like a, I I was very much bouncing back and back and forth between this could either be, you got peanut butter in my chocolate, or this could be, you got orange juice in my toothpaste. And so I was curious going into it. Or you got mayonnaise in my peanut butter. That, no, yeah, that's excellent. I no, I did saying. not think so, it would ever yeah. be the best sandwich um, in history. No. It's interesting because, you know, I, I think it, my relationship with Suicide Squad is so much like my relationship with the theatrical cut of Justice League, which it's it's super complicated because there's this movie in there that you know is there and the studio screwed with and screwed all the fans out of getting, right? And and so there there I like I enjoy the Suicide Squad movie enough. I mean it's fine. It's just a big mess because Somebody came in and tinkered with somebody's original ideas and and 
and you know lifted whole subplots out you know and and really changed the the format of the movie um and then you know i mean even david ayer said himself like uh, the movie the, the villain should have been joker which just would have been a much better movie in the first place anyway so like all of that to say like when it came to the idea of like re not i get the problem is is this really isn't a reboot and i think i had this at the end but i think i'm going to move it to here i'm going to ask you guys this question do you think the fact that this movie is trying to stand alone and at the same time is using all of a lot of the same characters uh nothing here you know discredits anything in the dceu um, and the fact that they just don't say Suicide Squad 2, do you think that kind of hurts this movie in, in the first place? Because people that aren't necessarily in the know like we are just don't really know what to make of this movie. Like, what is this movie? Because uh, obviously the movie's not doing great at the box office. So do you think maybe them just not straight up just embracing the fact that they're bringing back characters is is stupid hmm that's that's an interesting question uh I, i'll say for myself that you could argue it either way and that you could say that warner brothers is in a damned if you do damned if you don't scenario um i think that they're the the positioning of it is they're desperate to get away from a movie that has a certain amount of stink on it but at the same time they're Warner Brothers seems unable to figure out how not to alienate the fan base that they want to draw to the movie theater. <laughs> and so to your point, like if they'd said Suicide Squad 2, probably they would have had more people on board with it from the beginning who were the baked in fan base. So I think that they just are in the worst of all possible worlds in those terms. I thought that it like I don't know what else you would have titled it. It's either going to be The Suicide Squad or Suicide Squad 2. And or Suicide Squad with like a. Uh, yeah, like a, a colon, subtitle or something. Yeah, yeah. Colon, yeah, Suicide Squad colon Corto Maltese affair or something like that. And it's like, ooh, yeah, I'd see or, that movie. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's that's actually that a pretty cool a name actually, because yeah. it feels very seventies. I should be working for Warner you know? Brothers. <laughs> yeah. See, I'd make well, everybody happy. Should. I I say like you know to kind of piggyback off of what John said and also to respond to a rushing set about alienating fans like people in the know. I feel like if you're in the know, you know what's going on, and so it doesn't matter. I feel like if you're not in the know, then it doesn't really matter because if you're not in the know, then you're just going to say like, oh, hey, DC's coming out with another movie and it's got explosions and a starfish and, you know, Harley Quinn. And so I think it's I think it's fine from that regard. I feel like there's a lot of external factors and a few internal factors that are, you know, contributing to its low numbers. I mean, like we're we're right at the upswing of Delta variant and like people are, are terrified to go back out and like go to the movie theaters and everything like that. And you can see it in your house, you know? And, and so I just feel like that really hurts some things. I feel like, um, you know, the star power of Will Smith put together with Margot Rab Robbie isn't there, even though like Will Smith wasn't that big of a draw in Suicide Squad. Like you didn't go see Suicide Squad because Will Smith was in it, but it definitely got those casual fans and you know like the charisma in his name definitely held some weight and so i'd say like it was kind of a perfect storm of all that together i don't think it's because of bad word of, like a word of mouth or anything like that because i i've heard nothing but positive from like a lot of critics like that was actually mm -hmm. kind of got my hopes up a little bit 
because I was like, oh, wait, oh, no, like the early reactions are really positive to this. That's I didn't expect. I mean, yes. Yeah, it's at a 92 percent right now still. I mean, that's one of the highest rated comic book movies out there. I mean, there are very few that are higher rated, honestly. I got to ask a question, though, uh, because, you know, we Tristan, you've mentioned Margot Robbie now, you know, as Harley Quinn and everything. Do you think it's possible that we, as a group of fans, overestimate the commercial appeal of Harley Quinn? No, not at all. Not at all. Not you at all. You don't think we do? No. Harley Considering... Quinn, you think about, it, cons- think about it this way. Like, mm-hmm. Marvel's Spider-Man, like, like a Marvel's intake from Spider-Man merchandise is analogous to DC's intake of Harley Quinn merchandise. It's insane. It's absolutely insane how much money Harley Quinn makes them off of merchandise. See, that's interesting to me because, of course, you know, my metric is like if I walk down the street and I'm talking to my neighbors, I struggle to think of any of them where if I said, hey, who's Harley Quinn? Almost every one of them would say, you need to tell me. You live in Florida, John. What does that have to do with anything? (laughs) You're surrounded by old people and alligators. Come on. Uh, okay. Yes. <laughs> All right, sure. Yes. There, there you go. Solid, solid sound. No kids on my block. Um, no, it, it is one of those things, though, where I think that, um, you know, I'll acknowledge. Sure. Harley Quinn is a big character, but I don't I just don't know if that translates to. The draw uh, to the average film goer to say, oh, Harley Quinn's in this movie. Well, if we're talking well, average film goer, I don't think Suicide Squad is your is kind of your your market for the average film goer. True. I'll, but, I'll jump in here real yeah. quick as you guys are arguing because I, arguing. I do think I see both your points, um, but I'll I'll raise you both the fact that Birds of Prey did horribly at the theater, and so but that was a bad I movie. Don't know. It's not a bad movie. It's just not a great movie, and I also don't think that. I think that there is a segment of the the comic book buying population to which Harley Quinn is phenomenal, but I don't think that she's transcended into the cultural zeitgeist in the same way that a character like Spider-Man has or other characters. And, and that's part of the issue that I think we are possibly running into, like why this movie, it I think one, it needed to embrace the Suicide 2 moniker uh, and ameliorate the fans that DC already has. I don't understand why Warner Brothers is is unable to realize the fans that they already have and just placate them because if they were just playing to them, they would be making buckets of money. But they won't because they want to do something else and they keep trying to do something else and it keeps failing. Two, I, I mean, I'll... I'll I think the the other thing that doesn't help this movie is that it was five years ago that the last Suicide Squad movie came out, and there's this tortured development that we have here, and so many of the ideas that I see in this tortured development are better than this, um, especially when I see that back in 2017 when Gavin, Gavin O'Connor wanted uh, he was he was the director, his main villain for this was Dwayne Johnson's Black Adam. Like, would have been super cool because we'd be connecting with other things in the DC universe. And I think that's a really interesting idea because you have a bunch of, you know, villains slash antiheroes going after one of the ultimate antiheroes in the DC universe. Kind of interesting. So, like, I just feel like 
all of those things don't really work together very well. And I'd say in all of this development hell that they go through, they do decide to try and make this almost like this standalone movie and yet at the same time try to also not have it step on any toes. And it's like they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. And it's like either have faith in the universe that you've created or just freaking start over, wipe the slate clean and and do a whole new thing. And it's like they don't have the balls to do either. And so we just end up with this weird amalgamation of things to which don't allow something to truly transcend which is frustrating no, to me. No, before before Sorry, we, before we rant, move but... on, I want to say because I can I can feel the fanboys writing emails to me. I don't think that Harley Quinn is on the same level as Spider-Man. I just want to say that out loud. <laughs> don't want anybody to write me letters <laughs> or tweet me. I'm just talking about merchandise sales. <laughs> And, and that's at and, the insane Robin. Yes, I, I invite everybody to uh, turn your mentions into a wasteland of hatred, please, by all means. Um, I, you know, I, the, the thing is, it's like it, it, it I, on this specific tip. I, I, if I could ask the question, like I was, I was curious what other people's reaction to the very beginning of it was that they went the extra step of killing a, at least one character from the previous movie in a brutal fashion. Do you think that was, I, I don't know how that plays for people, right? That, that seems almost like a, a middle finger to the first movie to bring a character back just to kill them in the first five minutes. Right. And it, it seems also to have, it was sort of an early indicator of some of the structural challenges that are there with the movie of relying on that three days ago eight minutes ago 15 days ago like that that sort of fallback uh sort of thing that that goes on so i'm just curious with you guys like do you think that that opening was a good way to start the movie or do you think that it spins its wheels for a little bit before the credits roll i thought it was a great way to open the movie uh because i think killing captain boomerang so early and like because if they just killed the the d-list people that we'd never seen before like you know javelin mongol blackguard you know like those kind of people if they just killed those people and it was rick flag harley quinn and boomerang who survived you'd be like oh, okay well these guys are safe like the only the people we haven't seen before i mean yeah the people who we've seen before are going to be safe but I feel like them killing Captain Boomerang so early with all those other people showed you, okay, no, Harley Quinn's not sa- Well, obviously Harley Quinn's safe. But like Reflect's safe. Like maybe, you know, Idris Elba's not safe. You know, like it, it, it shows you that this could potentially end like, um, oh, like Sundance Kid. You know, like I don't know. Like maybe they go out in a blaze mm-hmm. of glory or something like that. Uh, so I, I actually like that aspect. Also, I hated his character. So I kind of laughed extra loud. I was like, hey, hey. <laughs> when he died <laughs> yeah I, I mean i think the opening is is effective uh in in the sense of helping you feel and and this is one of the things where you know when james gunn does come in and and his main inspiration for these are the original john ostrander comics from the 80s to which i know lots of characters die they get created just to die you know and um so i i i kind of liked that 
he was from the beginning kind of embracing the idea of that these are disposable villains, right? Like these are disposable characters to Amanda Waller. And having read enough of the the Suicide Squad, she could care less about them. You know, she just wants her objective completed. And so I, I thought that that was an interesting development to be able to pull that in. And like, like you said, John, you kill a character like Boomerang who came from the first movie. I didn't necessarily see it as a, uh, you know, an F you to the first movie. I just felt like it was more of, oh no, just because he was in the first movie or just because you love the character doesn't mean they're not going to die. Also, Ostrander was in the movie, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Which is, so I just, yeah, I, I think the opening like that worked. Now, I do want to ask you guys, uh, queuing the opening, John, I knew you were going to have a problem with this because I know how you feel about structural things in films. I figured that you would have a problem with this whole idea of going back and forth. I yeah. I, I read it. Now, I'm asking, I want to ask, did that, was that an issue for you guys on how they they structured the film here because not only do we structure the film with these kind of like flashbacks to like catch you back up, but we also do the thing like we do in like issues of a graphic novel where we'll go back in time a little bit or we'll fill in some backstory or we'll give you this or, you know, like, or we have the kind of specific chapters, you know, in the, in the graphic novel where it's like, Chapter one, this part of the story. Chapter two, and this does that as well. So how did all of that work for you guys? Because he's definitely playing with that kind of comic sensibility in that way, I think. For me, I, I got, I didn't have a problem with it, but I got tired of it by the end. I think that he did it too much. Yeah, If he had been more, more restrained, better gag. And that's it. I think it worked well in the beginning. uh, And... I feel like you could have had a little bit more linear narrative. And I love nonlinear storytelling. Love it to death. Big Nolan fan. Uh, but I think, I think John is 100% right here. It was, I think it, was, it worked at the beginning. Like you, shot, you saw the carnage at the beginning. It's like, let's dial it back a little bit. And then we show the beginning and then we move on. If we just left it there, it would have been a great device. But then it got really repetitive. It got a little like, okay, here we go again. And also the the cutesy titles totally took me out of it. Mm, that's interesting because I was I was not a fan of them, but I it was a choice, and so I was like, okay, this is a choice. But I agree with you; it wasn't necessarily the best choice. It was interesting. I think the only one that I liked was the the Utenheim one, where yeah. oh yeah. yeah, it was. Like it was physically there, like it wasn't CG. It was physically there, and then moved the camera, mm-hmm. and it was all just stuff that was around the um, the tops of the buildings. I thought that was pretty. I know there's a name for it, and I'm totally blanking on it, but I like that. Uh, but that would have been weird if that was the yeah. only time we saw that. Yes, very true, very true. I I think both of you did nail it though really well. Is that you can't use a trick too many times in a film, otherwise it just gets boring, and you're like, oh, well, here we go again. And so I feel like if they had just used it at the beginning, and then they maybe they had just used it at the very end with the part where, you know, the building's collapsing and Bloodsport is, you know, making his way down. Like, if you'd just done those two, that would be enough. 
but doing it more than th- twice, it's just like, ah, uh, come on, we 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 need to find another narrative device to help us tell the story. Yeah, you know, I didn't have a problem with the titles mainly because I, I i felt like okay i can see what gun is really trying to play with the comic book idea like we have almost our stories within our stories type of thing i was like this is kind of fun and it also felt like he was cribbing <laughs> Zack snyder's justice league uh, a little bit where you yeah, have your specific I, chapters i could see that um but it did not work as well uh and and, and mainly because it felt a little bit more forced than it did um, necessary in any way. Um, and so I, I I give him point, and this is one of the things like I'll say probably a few times in this, I give him points for really trying some things and trying to, to f- make fresh the comic book movie genre. You know, and again, this is one of those places where they, they let a director do his thing and they didn't screw with it. And... I would much rather have a movie where that happens than just a generic something that the studio, you know, mm. makes you paint by numbers. I, I would much rather have this than than that. Um, and so I, I would just say that in the structure of the movie, it didn't always work what he was trying to do. So, you know, I, I will... I will acknowledge that point that regardless of what you think of the Suicide Squad, it doesn't have uh, the fingerprints of a story group all over it. And that's a good thing because to your point, Matt, it does feel like, again, regardless of what you feel like it, you can tell that this movie is what James Gunn wanted. We talked about the original Suicide Squad. You can tell all the tinkering that happened with it. And we know, you know, all the tinkering with Justice League. So maybe just to be sort of Pollyanna positive about it, maybe at the very least we're seeing that Warner Brothers has figured out one area where they need to back off and let things happen a certain way. So maybe that's a positive to to walk out of this with. But the fact that it's not doing particularly well, they will undoubtedly undo that lesson because they will feel that they should have done that. So I was confused by the editing editing for all the things that we've we've discussed just over the past couple of minutes where I was like, why are we doing it this way? Like, why are we doing it like something that is an action movie that is trying to be Tarantino? And I was confused because I was like, so much of this could be solved just by linear inner cutting. Where like, we, we, it could be like, you don't have to have a chapter of the Harley Quinn story. You don't have to have a chapter of Idris Elba, then a chapter of this, chapter of that. Like, so much could be solved by inner cutting and it would keep the momentum going and not feel so directionless. And then I checked out who edited it and it had two editors fred raskin and christian wagner fred raskin did once upon a time in hollywood hateful eight django unchained (laughs) and and uh, christian wagner uh did uh furious seven fast furious six fast five fast and furious and the island domino man on fire and i think uh raskin raskin and wagner did fast five and fast and furious together and also, I mean, Raskin also did Gardens of Galaxy and Galaxy Galaxy Volume Two. So you're looking at like who who are like heavy heavy hitters in the action pop culture action you know um, scene, but who's also both done work for Tarantino. And I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, if that's what James Gunn wanted, like he's like, I want like even more of an action film that does stuff like Tarantino with its storytelling. These are the people that you get. But I don't think that served 
the story. I think the story could have right. been, if that's the vision that Gunn wanted, he achieved it. But I think it could have been done in a different way to give it a more of a driving force. Agree. Agree. And I think because that's the type of story that it is. You have a group of people moving in a direction toward an end point. Whereas Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a little bit more frenetic. Or even the Fast and Furious movies, those are, you know, it, that's basically your adrenal gland exploding on screen. Right? Where this could have benefited. I mean, we're, we're basically, yeah, I'm just... a a lot of words to say I agree with that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Tristan. Um, and and again, what I, I, I'd say to that is that I appreciate that James Gunn was trying something different. And the fact that you are trying to add a new layer to maybe the comic book genre, I just don't think necessarily here um, that it worked exactly the way he wanted it's just not as successful as he hoped it would be and that is frustrating and and i i wanted to get into this too because okay with the cast we have something old something new so we have old characters that have come back and then we have new characters and so i wanted to start with the the something old we've got margot robbie uh, back, Joel Kinnaman, Viola Davis, and Jai Courtney. We already talked about, you know, uh, Jai Courtney's character. Um, but with bringing back Margot Robbie and Joel Kinnaman and their Harley Quinn and, and Rick Flagg, how do you feel like it served the story to bring them back? And do you feel like they were done justice to have them back? This is where I turn radioactive in the discussion. Because... Um Kinnaman, okay, like I, I, he goes up against uh, uh, Peacemaker and everything. Okay, that's fine. It's a little unnecessary because it felt like the conflict should have remained between um, Idris Elba and John Cena, right? Um, and that would have made it a little bit more contained. But it, it worked pretty well. I, I'll just go ahead and say it. The Harley Quinn having that detour where she falls madly in love with the president. Like I sat there and at the, as soon as that chapter of it was over, my first reaction was that did nothing to advance the story at all. And it felt like a detour that didn't like it. I, my reaction. And I did not love birds of prey by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I, I quite disliked it. And when it got to the end, I went, Huh, so they're doing the emancipation of Harley Quinn again in miniature. Okay, and it just felt completely unnecessary to the story. And I know I know that now all of the hate mail will come to me. So I, again, want to repeat, my Twitter handle is at the insane Robin. <laughs> and I want you to, to attack that Twitter handle with all of your rage for what I just said. No, okay, John, I... <laughs> I, it's hard to argue with you about that, but I really liked that scene, but I don't think it fit the movie. Like, it's just, I, I really liked Harley Quinn in that scene. I thought it was funny. I thought it was well shot. I thought it was well edited. I thought it was well acted. Uh, I, was, I was laughing really hard, but it did not belong in this movie. What belonged in this movie was her getting captured and then her immediately being hung up by her wrists. 
that's yes. what should have yes. happened from a from a structural standpoint from a storytelling standpoint but i really enjoyed the scene because that's so harley quinn like what happened is so true to the character but i feel like if they stopped it right after she shot him and then did a little bit of a monologue just a little bit of a monologue where she's like hey you know i've learned to pay attention to red flags and you killing women and children is a big big red flag boom end of scene I feel like if the scene ended there, I feel like it would have flowed better because we wouldn't have had so many eye rolls because of having a light version of the emancipation of Harley Quinn. I completely agree with you, both of you. I rewatched the movie today. I was going to ask you if you went to your like went to the theater thumb. at your your seven times or yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I I I don't get a chance to do that much anymore. Mainly just because of time. Um, I've been really busy, uh, and so. Uh, but I rewatched it today, and I wrote down specifically because I, I was just taking some notes, and I was like, "The Harley story, like this, doesn't have anything to do with this movie. Like you, this could have been a short, hmm. and it would have been great, but it doesn't have anything to do with this movie. And I love the idea of her just getting captured and then being hung up, and then because the the moment where she's escaping." is such a great Harley Quinn moment, you know, mm-hmm. like to give this character her own drive, her own motivation, her own ability to get herself out of her own situations, right, is fantastic for the character, like agency-wise and everything like that. It's it's awesome. And then that whole moment where she's like, hey, guys, what are you doing? Like, and they're like, we're, like that's great. Which was ruined by like, the all trailer. All that stuff is great. Oh. Yes, exactly. Ruined by the trailer. But it's... It's something to which if you had cut, and this is the the point where it's like, that's five minutes of the movie that doesn't need to exist. Like literally five minutes of running time we don't need. It's just, it like you said, Tristan, I think it's great for the character of Harley Quinn. It just doesn't fit in this movie. And the reason they're doing it is because Margot Robbie's in this movie and they feel like they have to do something special for her. But it still would have been special enough if she escapes and everything and, you know, does the whole, hey, guys, you know, what are you doing? Like, it's still good enough. You don't need all of this other stuff. Yeah. I, and not, you know. not to, like, write the movie, which I know that we all hate doing, but, like, that could have been a cool flashback where she pops up and... And she and like like we we get the scene like where they're where Joel Kinnaman and Idris Elba are going and we're gonna rescue Harley Quinn. She pops up and says like, "Hey guys, what are you doing? Like, what happened? What, what, what's going on?" And then we go flashback, have a much more truncated falling love, falling in love with El Presidente, much tr- much more truncated. And then she escapes and has that Hugh Jackson scene. I mean, I that you know that could have gone I w- through. I would actually offer again. If you wanted to preserve this, which you know I, I do concede, it was well acted. It was well the the scene on its own. If I if I excise it out of this movie, if I excise that stuff out of this movie, it is well done. Like little little story. If you really wanted to have that be a centerpiece or a driving part of the story, then have that be maybe they go like this happens with Harley. They go to rescue her. That's the mission is to go rescue her. They find out she freed herself. And then she says, oh, by the way, there's this weird starfish thing we got to go take care of. 
And I understand you have all of these other considerations and everything, but, and I'm not trying, I'm just saying like there would have been ways to work this in to the movie better than it was so that it didn't feel like yep. it was just injected in there as this detour mm-hmm. uh, sort of thing. Yep. I look, I love Joel Kinnaman in this movie. I think he's really great as Rick Flagg. And what I love, obviously, of course, with the Suicide Squad is he is the one redeemingly good character. Like right. he is the one who is doing this because he believes in the good of the mission, you know, and all of those kind of things. And I think, you know, Joel Kinnaman does a great job with that. And and especially even in this role, I think he does a great job with that. Um, you know, there's nobody else who could be Amanda Waller. Viola Davis is perfect, you know, so uh, they made a great choice, I thought, with who they brought back. Um, but I got to get to somewhere where I kind of think I might be a little bit um, nuclear uh, for the fan. I don't know. But with the something new, um, I do think we need to start with uh, Idris Elba and being Bloodsport instead of Deadshot because Smith can't come back. And if, in all honesty, I would say I love Idris Elba. I think he plays the role great here. I think if Deadshot had never existed in the in the first movie, this would have been fantastic. The problem is, is that it's like you replace one black guy with another and one character with another as if they were interchangeable. And that is BS. Same backstory. Because they are literally the same character. Same backstory, yes. same estranged si- like daughter. It, it's you know. terrible. Mm-hmm. It's terrible, terrible, terrible. And it is a disservice to Idris Elba, who is an incredible actor and deserves way better than this S. Like, I, I'm i sorry, I'm really... I, I agree. I, it, it, it burned my... I, I just... It stuck in my craw, folks. I, I, I'm glad you said something, because I completely agree with you. I think that it's... It, it is... Um, to use a light term, disrespectful in a lot of ways. And I think that um, I I couldn't help but while I was watching the movie, wondering what it would have been like if you winnowed the characters down a little bit and even had Idris Elba play um, Peacemaker. That would have been interesting. Uh, If you had him play... Uh, even polka dot man like i would have loved to see idris elba in these no seriously i would have loved no. to see idris elba in these other roles because that, no I'm, he's, I'm, I'm laughing because i think man i'm i'm trying to see what that would look like that would be super interesting he's he's I, a I'm fantastic polka dot man and it's fantastic yeah he's a fantastic and that doesn't take anything away from uh david desmalchian he's he's great i think that he does the best he can do with the role that he's given i i do i and i thought that was interesting i wish he'd gotten more screen time um, so I'm not taking anything away from him, uh, in, in those statements, but I'm just saying to agree, it was possible to have Idris Elba in this movie without him being what he is, which is dead shot too, which is just, dead shot it is, light. it's a, it's so bothersome on so many levels. You're absolutely correct. It's just, he didn't have much to do in this movie i mean like yeah he was the kind of the de facto leader when kinnaman wasn't on screen but it just he like the guy has such great acting chops and he didn't even have that many lines you know like it's just i mean i don't know how to articulate it it's just it's it felt like a waste and i know that everyone 
like behind the scenes was saying like you're like yes uh will smith wasn't available because of scheduling conflicts okay and they they were gonna bring on idris elba to replace will smith as deadshot but then they're like well what if we do a third one and we could get will smith well then like okay well let's be respectful to will smith so that he could come back for a third one and he could be deadshot and so let's just have idris elba be something else but they didn't change the script here's here's an even better idea this is Honestly, Will Smith can't come back. Do what so many sequels in the past have done. If you don't want to, you know, misuse or kill off or or something like that. Hey, where's Deadshot? Uh, no, we don't trust him for this one. And just invent some sort of reason why he can't be there, and then have a different character in his place. And it. Well, I mean, you, know. you already had Savant in the in the oh beginning of the movie who dies, who's Rooker, and he's basically that character, right? Who's like. Good with weapons yeah. and like, but a completely different type of character, right? Like, I I don't understand why you went this route. And and in all honesty, to me, like if you wanted this movie to really work, just wait a little bit longer till Smith is available. Mm-hmm. And and I know it's it's a huge scheduling mess, right? But it's like this movie did. After watching it again, this movie needed Smith's charisma. Yeah. It needed Will Smith. Although, as a question... Will Smith is one of the standouts of the first movie, and I feel like you put him back in this movie, it works better. As a question, though, if they did bring him back, and they did have him in the movie, and they didn't make that many changes to the script, would we have felt that he didn't have enough to do in this movie? Yeah, I don't don't think it would have changed much, honestly. I don't think... I think... His charisma can only go so far with, with, I mean, I feel like Will Smith's charisma can go a long way when it's a smaller cast because you can focus on him more and he can carry the movie on his back. But when he has a movie where he he has limited amount of screen time, like Idris Ilba did, because the cast mm-hmm. is so huge and because so much is going on, then your charisma can only go so far. I feel like Will Smith and The Rock... Like they're, you know, they're movie stars. They're some of the last movie stars where like you have a crappy script or even a, a mediocre movie. You can at least be entertained because they can bring that natural energy to it. But I think given this script, this structure, even with, with Will Smith at the helm as as Deadshot instead of Blood, what is it? Blood sport. Blood, Blood sport. sport. I can't yeah. remember his name. I don't. I don't think. I really don't think it changes anything. Mm-hmm. And and I. Well, and I. I also want to say. I gotta say because I think that. I'll disagree because I feel like the scenes to which he's in, where he's like connecting with Ratcatcher two, uh, and all of those type of things work better because I'm not sitting there thinking, this. They literally just replaced one character with another as if it they're interchangeable that that's the problem with those scenes like i don't have a problem with the way idris elba is playing them or anything like that it's it's that i'm removed from caring about what's happening between the characters which is supposed to be the emotional heart of the movie because there's this other this external force that's like taking me out of what's happening i will say that will smith would have done the scared of rats thing better I will, I will say I think, that. I think he would have done the... I think his charisma pays off in the nightclub scene. <laughs> yeah. I, I can see Will Smith playing that with his sort mm. of 
bravado. And again, this is the dangerous territory of I'm not knocking Idris Elba either. I think he's yeah. magnificent uh, as an actor. I just think that it, when a character is written, quote unquote, for somebody else, it shows. It was obvious that the character was written a certain way and you need to adapt for those changes. You need to, you can't just plug and play uh, sort of thing. I maybe I'll change my mind then you guys bring up some good points. Yeah, I, I just um, I just think that there's also uh, a, a problem here that I think we're dancing around in that there really are too many characters. I think this movie instantly improves if in the beginning you have both crews get whittled down and you have them have to join up and that emphasizes the my team, I liked my team, and then this person over here, I liked my team. Well, now both teams have to come together and work and sort of emphasize that, and it underlines and emphasizes the disconnect between the two uh, the two groups, especially because we start off with Peacemaker and Bloodsport, and of course, anybody who grew up in the in the eighties or watched Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. Every time you hear blood sport, you giggle a little bit, Um, but you can have, there's so much more natural animosity between peacemaker and flag because they're flip sides of that coin. And it's, if you have the whole movie driven by their conflict from the get go, that's that instantly raises stakes that instantly raises tension and, and can drive things along um instead of having it just yeah. be the the blood sport and peacemaker how many people can you kill competition which is cute yep. but but then you know. then completely retracted because like when that happens you're like okay we're in like a a 70s 80s violent action film and people are yeah. dying left and right and they're doing it in a funny way and we're like and we're laughing along cuz it's not real you know like it's funny stuff it's it's you know, not to mention Tarantino too many times, but yeah, it's like a Tarantino movie where like the violence is so over the top, you're laughing at it and it's not uncomfortable. But then they say like, then you find out that those people you just watched dying. Also, I'm sorry, I, I just can't get used to women being slaughtered on screen like that. It just that just still bothers me. Um, but like once we get to the end of it and you have a few laughs you feel like a garbage person because you're like, oh, they just killed freedom fighters. People right. whose families have died and they're fighting against a, you know, a fascist regime. Uh, oh, okay. And we're just supposed to play off of that as jokes. And like now I feel like the asshole. And I just, it, it, just, it, just, ru- it just ruined a big portion of that movie and it makes you distrust the yep. film because mm-hmm. it, that's a horrible well, thing to do to an audience it, member. Yes, it, it's it's better to have them go through that and they show up and flag and the, the leader of the resistance are sitting there in the cell and they get up and they're ready to fight. And they're like, no, 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 we got it. it, it yes. It's all good. It's all good. Yes, yep. that's like, all yep. you had to do. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned, John, this whole idea of like the, the flip coin of Kinnaman's character and Cena's character. It's like just excise Bloodsport altogether. You don't need him. Mm-hmm. Um and the other thing about this was that I was, you know, I get that Peacemaker and 
Cena is supposed to be this like straight man, funny guy. It barely works here because this is about the only thing that John Cena can do is play a D bag like this <laughs> that has very few lines. Um, because otherwise, I mean, he was terrible, and I mean, god awful in Fast and the Furious Nine. I haven't I seen mean, he Fast was just Nine. Terrible so in the F9. Please don't spoil that for me. I okay, haven't seen so it um, but this is the movie that Batista said no to so that he could be in Army of the Dead. You and can tell. oh my goodness, I wish that Batista was in this movie because I think he would have been a much better peacemaker uh, than Cena because I just don't like Cena that much. And he and the fact that they're then going to make him into the, the peacemaker HBO show, it's like you're choosing the wrong character to focus I, on. I like, was so confused This character by that. is only good yeah. in like a very small increments and now you're going to give him a whole show what are, are you doing are we sure that show is still greenlit right now are we sure <laughs> oh, it's, it's finished they finished filming the first season already oh, great oh man okay. seriously okay like as i'm watching it like before i watch it, i'm like oh okay like john cena will most likely be a fan favorite because they're making a show based off of this character so clearly he's going to steal the show and as i'm watching it and i actually do like john cena like I think he's he can be very funny. I I've, the stuff I've seen him in have been a highlight, but again, it's been in short bursts. And and so as I'm watching this, I'm just like, like when is thing when are things going to turn? Like when am I going to start to like this guy? Like when am I going to start to root for this guy? When am I going to start to be entertained by this guy? And then he quote unquote dies, and I'm like, oh well, maybe the show is going to be a prequel. And then, of course, mm-hmm. you see the credits, and I'm just like, how on earth is he going to carry the show? How is that character going to carry a show? Why would I want to watch that? And my wife was this, the same way. She's like, why on earth would I want to watch this character? Unless they do, like, a fundamental paradigm shift of his personality. <laughs> like, why on earth? Like, and there's some great anti-hero shows out there. There's some fantastic, like, uh, for, like, 10 years, that's kind of all we got on TV was anti-heroes. So, it can be done. It can be done well. But I don't know, man. But not with John Cena. <laughs> I, I I just think that the character itself, the the character got, uh, I, like the, the word isn't boring, but Peacemaker got tired for me by the end of the movie. It was... Yeah, he's one, one note. note. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. And, and it was just, oh, okay, I got it. Like, I, I, I didn't know. I actually did not know until this conversation that there was going to be a Peacemaker show. And learning that, my reaction is... Not with me. There isn't like I'm <laughs> I have no plans to tune in. And I, mm-hmm. I but that's that's what's weird. Right. Is I know that my reaction to all of these things is in this uh, in, in this time, if I'm to trust Rotten Tomatoes, which is our final arbiter of all taste and truth in film. The critics love this movie. They adore it. They think it's great. It, like, Matt, I think you said it's got a 92% critical reaction. Yep. I it, like, It's disorienting because for so long, it's been DC movie comes out, critics hate it, and I wind up saying, I might not love it, but I'm like, oh, well, I don't think it's that bad, guys. Like, don't you think you're being a little harsh here? And they're almost, like, I almost wonder if this movie winds up having some sort of like a snapback reaction where people were just hungry for this type of movie for so long 
at this point that it comes out and there's a bit of an overreaction, overly positive reaction to it. And that over time, it'll sort of hollow out a little bit. I, I, I don't know if that'll happen, but it I suspect. When this will. movie, like when we saw the trailer for it and we saw more and more trailers for it, I was like, okay. And the movie we got is what I expected it to be. But when it came out and critics were talking about it before, right before it was released, and there was a few critics and like one critic in particular who I really respect who is very spot on and is great, gives great film analysis, like loves blockbusters as well as the indie stuff. You know, it's, it's just like he's legit. And he was said he's like, this is the best blockbuster of the year. Uh, this is James Gunn in full force. This is great. You guys need to watch it. Enjoy it. I was like, oh, hey, maybe this is actually going to be fantastic. And so I got my hopes up. And then when I watched it, I was like, okay, nope, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be. Well, and it it is it's interesting to me because like with the new like I have to say my favorite, well, probably my second favorite thing about the movie is Sylvester Stallone as King Shark. I mean, that part to me was genius. Is, I thought is, it was genius casting. Is genius really and I the thought, word you want to use? I want to use it. Yes, I thought that that was probably my second favorite part of the movie. I I loved. I loved King Shark. I thought the bit worked the whole time. And having Sylvester Stallone, I think, as the the voice of that character was pitch perfect. Have you seen, I, I think we've talked about this, but have you seen Harley Quinn, the animated show? Uh, I've seen some of it, yes. Okay, because that portrayal of King Shark is the primo portrayal. Like, no one, like, I feel like every 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 time I see any other kind of portrayal of King Shark, it is judged by... Harley Quinn's animated shows King Shark. And so I just kept thinking, I was like, what a missed opportunity just to do that. I've never seen the Harley Quinn show, but I have seen the Suicide Squad. And uh, I'm just going to have to respectfully disagree. I did not dislike King Shark. I thought King Shark was entertaining. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought the effects on King Shark were magnificent. There were a couple of close up shots of King Shark where my it, it was one of those moments where I said, wow, skin texture is here wow that's amazing work like it, it is absolutely fantastic work that they did on king shark um but i didn't i i will i will go ahead and say and i know people that there might be a collective eye roll out there but there were a few too many it was sort of like uh, uh um groot and drax in a blender and it was hmm. like okay that's that's what he is and that's fine but i didn't see anything particularly innovative i thought i do think that stallone did great vocal work for him i i I did um because i wasn't sitting there thinking that sounds just like sylvester stallone i could tell it was stallone (laughs) but stallone was putting some spin on it and making his voice interesting and actually giving me something to work with that wasn't just hey i showed up for a paycheck and so many people do that when they voice an animated character. It's like, okay, I got two hours and my limo's waiting. So give me the check. Let me read these lines and get out of the studio. But it actually, he was acting for the character. I He made me believe that King Shark was a character. So that's a positive. But I wasn't blown away by him. Yeah, I echo everything that John just said. And one, one thing that I actually, uh, one thing that I find particularly cool is that when King Shark rips a dude in half and there's lightning strike behind him the ripping the guy in half was practical 
Like that, that was a practical effect. Like, cause he, he, ripped awesome. a, he ripped a dummy in half. Like obviously he was CG, but he ripped a dummy in half. And I was just like, that's, that's cool. Like, th- because it would have been so easy just to make all of that CG. But yeah, I, I, that was just quite impressive. And, and also, um, you know, Gunn himself have said that he really liked that he had the ability to do more practical effects on this film than he did with the Guardians of the Galaxy, which is mostly CG. And he felt more at home. And he said that this is the most fun he's ever had making a film. So at least there's that. Well, I'm glad he had that much fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I just thought he was great. So uh, I, I the last character we should talk about, I think, is is Ratcatcher 2, Daniela Melikor, I think is how you'd say her name. Um, and, I mean, to me, she was my favorite part of the movie. I liked her character. I liked the heart that she brought to the, the movie. I, I enjoyed what they were trying to do, even though it pulls me out of the movie with her relationship with Idris Elba and everything. But, like, I... I I just responded to what they were doing with her. And I thought she was great in the role. Like I thought she brought a lot of, of the emotional moments she brought home. Um, she made me feel them, which is good, especially in a movie that's this over the top and crazy. Um, and is the one person on the team who, other than Rick flag, who is genuinely somebody who's the person that could be a good person. Like this, this is, you know, this is a character who, um, has the heart to, to be a better person, uh, and, and to transcend, you know, the suicide squad. So to me, everything about that character really worked. I I thought it was a good and interesting character. Uh, I thought she played the character well, um, in terms of, you know, what you're saying about, you know, she's a a good character sort of thing. I, I think it also speaks to. In the first Suicide Squad, and I'm doing this on purpose, in the first Suicide Squad, everybody was, uh, like, it was very clear why they were in prison and why they were regarded as monsters and evil. And that, that is Ratcatcher 2, and I, I don't know the comics well enough. I don't know why she's called Ratcatcher 2. Is it a number 2 or is it T-O-O, like Ratcatcher, 2? No, it's, it's uh, the number 2, two. because oh. her dad yeah. was Ratcatcher. Because her dad was the original, oh. yeah. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I it just, it. I, I think it spoke to the, she served a purpose, but it wasn't, clear to me why she was in the situation she was in to begin with and i think that speaks more to the fact that there's so much going on with so many characters and so much plot crammed into this movie that probably that's just a byproduct of that i thought she was fine i mean she's definitely the heart of the piece uh (laughs) casting taika waititi completely took me out of it like, I couldn't even really focus on what Ratchetcher was saying because during the flashbacks, because I was just like, wait, is that Taika YTT? And like, I just started laughing. I just started laughing. And uh, yeah, it was just, uh, I thought it was weirdly miscast having the dad be YTT. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought Ratcatcher was fine, but it just felt like that offshoot. Like, I kind of. When we were in the truck and she started going through her um, her backstory, I kind of was just like, I don't care. 
I, I, I don't care. You know, like it was, um, I think at that point is where the movie started going off the rails for me. Like I really enjoyed the first act. I thought it was a great first act. But once we got to the second act, it felt like it was meandering. It felt like we had tons of offshoots. It felt directionless. And then when we started doing more backstory, I was kind of like, okay, fine. Let's just let's keep going. Like, like we got more story and not enough plot. Like let's, let's, let's keep it moving. I, I got to ask you guys about the villains of this movie because I feel like this is one of the places where I, Tristan, you just mentioned you started to kind of get lost. Uh, and this is where I feel like I get lost is to what are the villains of this movie and what what is their actual point? Like, what, what are they trying to do? What are they trying to do with Starro? You know, like... AKA starfish in the movie. Like I, all of that didn't really make sense. And then, and then can I, I, can I tell you how tired I am of like it being the movie where we find out, Oh, really? The bad guy is the United States government. Like it's so overdone and boring at this point, especially in this type of film that it's like, do something unique. Try, try. Just try. Well, I mean, I mean, to that point, I I agree with you. Where it's just sort of, it's one of those things where, okay, I get it. You're trying to make that point, and trust me, I'm the last person to, you know, defend the people that brought us uh, Project MK Ultra and stuff like that. But like, they're you're here setting up this comic book universe, and I know that we're supposed to be existing in the real world and modern comic book universe stuff, but it comes across more as a missed opportunity to have tied it in to something that would have been more impactful in this fake world in which we exist. Like hmm. if you suddenly find out Wayne Enterprises is responsible for all of this <laughs> stuff, right? There you go. There, you know, you, you laughed right there, but that would have been one of those things where as a comic book fan, well, Wayne Enterprises is funding this. Wait, what? Do, does Bruce know that they're funding this? This is crazy. Oh, my gosh. Batman couldn't. You said, why isn't Batman there taking care of this instead of the Suicide Squad and stuff like that raises all of these different questions and all of these things that I'm curious about. And I start talking about with my other comic book fans as Ooh, opposed damn. to. That's As opposed idea. to, hey, real world government does crappy things. It's like, well, that's not really a revelation, guys. Okay, let's move that's, forward. That's what killed me, is that they treated it like a bombshell. They treated it like a revelation, exactly like you said. And it's not. Okay, we're all adults. We know that our government sucks and that every government sucks and every government is evil. We understand that. We get that. Like, I'm all for watching a movie where... Surprise, surprise, the U.S. government is the bad guy. Totally get it. <laughs> On board. Like, give me more. Let's give me some fiction instead. But you got to tease it. You got to tease it. You got to build up to it. You got to sow the seeds. Show more Waller at the beginning. Show some side conversations that are a little ambiguous. Try to figure out what's going on. Maybe show, show Rick Flagg having some hesitancy. Show Rick trying to figure out what his role is in this unit. Show Rick having some back and forth with Wally where they're not getting along or they don't know or he doesn't know what's going on or he's getting tired. He's getting sick. He wants to retire. He wants to do something. But don't have this be like, boom, you got that? Like it's a middle school revelation of we were the bad guys all along. And then Rick has that turn of like, I'm sick of being the errand boy. 
Well, that's what you are. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, yes, the the big revelation, you you've got some super criminals that you just led on a top secret unsanctioned mission that technically is in violation of every international law that exists. And you're surprised that the people who sent you on this mission aren't dealing on the up and up. That doesn't, you know, like that. Yeah, it, it wouldn't yeah, be exactly. that shocking. It's like, oh, no, actually, they're using you to clean up a mess. Uh, well, yeah, that's what they sent you in to do. You know that because you're you've got freaking Harley Quinn with you. You've got sociopaths with you who murder, who literally are in in super prison for murder. You 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 made a joke about a weasel eating children, and you gave a number. Right. You gave a yes. number of how many children he's eaten. So it's completely hypocritical that he's screaming yeah. about them experimenting on children. They're experimenting on children, peacemaker. No, like yeah. no. You're working with a guy who ate twenty six yeah. or twenty eight yeah, children. It's, yes. it's ridiculous. It's hypocritical writing. It's like the it's like the third act didn't know what happened in the first act. Yeah. Well, and 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 then the thing I think that bothers me the most in this this whole thing as well is that like, so Starro can be shot by a super gun by Bloodsport, but then a javelin that Harley Quinn is going to thrust into its eye is going to allow a bunch of rats to get in, like. There is no logic to the... To, I mean, look, there's no logic to a massive starfish that was in space and somehow can survive in space, but a javelin... Yeah, I was going to say, don't... Thrown by Harley don't Quinn. Don't use the word logic. A, 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 yeah. Uh, it just... The whole... That... Look, like, I... I'm not trying to rip this movie apart or anything like that. It just... As I was watching it the second time, way too many things popped out at me that just didn't make sense in this film and when it came to like the villains and like the the story of who the villain was and all this kind of stuff too i was really disappointed because like but a lot of the dc movies and, and the best superhero movies are ones that kind of have something to say and this movie has nothing to say true because it can never figure out what it is about like and that was really frustrating to me because even some of the most frustrating DC movies have at least been trying to say something somewhat interesting and like watching this a second time I was like this movie he doesn't have a message I mean I know it's trying to say some things but it's it's doing it so poorly I mean like you know the whole idea that liberty is your excuse to do whatever you want uh, like yeah that's a great quote but it never gets really played out in the movie and 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 there's it's such a mess at the end that like it never really congeals and it's very frustrating because the movie looks great it sounds great you know you've got great actors you've got a great director and i it, it's one of those places where like i don't know i I gotta. I feel like we could we could continue talking about things, but I, I feel like it's time to kind of bring this to a there, close, y'all. There's and, one and, thing and, though. There's one thing I have to tell no, both no, of ahead, you, please. That it's just the entire movie. This was bugging me. Okay, there's an American Dad episode where Stan, the lead character, brings out a javelin, and his wife says, "Stan, you have to get rid of that." And he goes, "I'll never get rid of." And he looks at the camera. The camera zooms in and goes my old college javelin 
and then thunder strikes <laughs> and then like a co- like a mi- like less than a minute goes by and he said he's like you'll never know when i need to use and he looks at the camera my old college javelin and then some thunder strikes <laughs> and then the movie proceeds and like it's the climax he doesn't know what to do and like there's a flood and then the javelin is floating alongside him and he's like look it's my old college javelin and he looks at the camera he says <laughs> remember and he picks it up and that's what's going to save the day but then he screws it up and misses in the entire movie i just every single time the javelin came up i'm just like my old college javelin and that's what's used to save the day yes 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 100 percent yes and also and also d bradley baker is sebastian the rat why would you get d bradley baker to be the sebastian the rat I don't know. And not really do anything yeah. with it. Like, that was a cute little character and fun. But yeah, I thought the exact same He was thing. the only one who I cared about surviving. Yes. I was like, they enough. better not kill Sebastian the Rat. Although Rick Flag really hurt. <sighs> that hurt. I didn't like them doing that. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Same. Yeah, I was I was actually, you know, Tristan, I thought the exact same thing when, when we got to the end credit sequence and it wasn't Rick Flag that survived. I was yep. pissed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that they, that's like, why they went inside his chest with the camera to show you his yeah. heart being pierced because they're like, yep. nope, he's dead. He's not coming back. And that pissed me off. Yep. So, well, I, so I'm really interested to see where we're going to kind of come down with our ratings. And so, uh, Tristan, where do you end up with The Suicide Squad? <sighs> man, when I watched it, I laughed really hard during the first act. I was like, man, this is funny. This is going to be different. This is going to be good. This is this is better than I hoped. But then it just went off the rail. I got bored during the second act and did, did nobody figure out if the weasel could swim yeah. like, that, that was funny right. that was really funny and yep. like and more stuff with the weasel like when rick flag was just like i'm pretty sure he agreed to this i think he agreed to this you know like <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> and also that's the maximum amount that i can handle pete davidson so yeah i'm, yeah, I'm glad that he killed him off <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah when you shot him in the face it was yeah, perfect yeah. <laughs> oh, thank god <laughs> it was just this huge sigh of relief i was like we can keep watching sweetie we can keep watching um, but yeah, it's just like I got bored in the second act and then it got repetitive in the third and I kind of wanted to be nice and give it like a three stars. But honestly, after talking to you guys and like I just started getting more pissed off and I'm like, I'm going to have to give it two and a half where it's better than Suicide Squad 2016 that I gave a two, which I probably should give a one and a half. But I'm going to say I'm going to say two and a half missed the mark. Um, I I. I've been struggling with this. I've really been chewing it over in my brain to make sure that I'm not being, I I have a reputation for being a little too harsh with my ratings at times. Um, and that I, I can, you know, no, I think that's, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you right there because I think the person who's the most harsh reviewer I've ever seen is actually, uh, on house lights right now. And man, well, does Darren give the, the hardest, I mean, it, it's, Wow, yeah. I've never seen anybody just be that harsh with stars. It's crazy. And everyone yes. should check out House Lights at thenerdparty.com. Yes. Yeah, they, yes, they should. Yes, so. indeed. Thank you. Yes. Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be as nice as I can be. I, I'm, I'm feeling generous because it came out on my birthday. So um, I'm, it's going to get a two. But that's probably, it's probably nicer than I want to be. But I figure, you know, hey, I'll, I'll be... I'll be nice this time. So two for me. So when I came out of the movie theater the first time, 
to see this, I thought, oh, that's that's pretty good. You know, like I I, I thought it was pretty funny, you know, and um, you, it, the movie looks great. You know, I, yeah. I think the production value on this film is fantastic. The fact that they tried to do more stuff, you know, in, in camera and physically, I think really works for the movie to make it like more grounded and gritty. And again, I think they're kind of going for that, like, you know, 70s war film vibe, you know. Uh, which is is awesome to go for. You guys are talking about Coppola and House Light, so yeah, go for the uh, Apocalypse Now type feel, right? That's mm-hmm. great. Um, we're really plugging House Lights for you guys tonight. <laughs> Thank you. So you, you're welcome. Um, but I watched it again today, and so many things stood out to me that just don't hold together on a second viewing. And I gave it three and a half. After this conversation, it's a three. It could fall below that. Mm. And I saw that's your rating. the problem with this. I saw your rating on yeah. Letterboxd. And after we had this conversation, I was like, I'm going to yeah. fly to the West Coast and slap you in the face if you give it four stars. <laughs> I, no, no. It, 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 it's one of those things where a movie, the more I talk about it, the more I think about it, doesn't hold together right. You know, it happened with Black Widow when I talked to Christy about that and, and we talked to the whole film and by the time I got to the end, it was worse than when I was beginning. This is the same thing. Whereas this weekend, I also went and saw Stillwater and The Green Knight. The Green Knight only got better in my estimation as I thought about it more and Stillwater has stayed the same at where it was, which was just a fantastic movie. So... What was frustrating about this is, and 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 the reason I'm going to give it three is because at least the WB didn't screw with James Gunn and they let him do his thing, and this is what he came out with. And unfortunately, it doesn't hold together as well as you know. I would say I, I like his Guardians of the Galaxy two more than I like Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, I I think it just doesn't hold together as well. Uh, it. it this there were too many narrative problems in this movie and part of that is i think that they wrote this movie around a character who wasn't there and it was deadshot and that alone makes this movie not work the way it should because it's not the right person it's not the right character um and i think honestly you guys we came up with some great ways to fix a lot of the problems that were in this movie constructively just like and it wasn't even like we're rewriting a movie we're like just just tweak this move this around here yeah you know like don't have this character you know like a, a very quick and easy fixes you know and this movie could have been much better and it's frustrating to me you know and what's fascinating though is to me that so, DC recently has had two movies come out where they, they didn't screw with the director. One was Zack Snyder's Justice League, and this one. One was way more successful than the other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I'd still like DC, and I'd like the WB, to let directors do this. I'd also like for them to figure out what the heck they're doing. Because this movie is, is the and I would say the biggest problem all over with this movie is DC has no idea what it wants to yeah. do. Mm-hmm. And it's just throwing things up against the wall and hoping that they stick. And you know one of the reasons that this doesn't stick very well is because it can't make up its mind whether it wants to be a part of the DCEU or not. And that hurts the movie too. Um, and if you don't, if you, you as a studio don't trust the universe you're building then you need to scrap it and start over. 
but they just don't have the guts to do that. And they've got nobody behind the scenes who understands the material as well to make sure that we're doing a good job. And it's just, it's endemic. Like it, it is a systematic problem at, at DC. Like, and until they fix that problem, none of their movies are going to be as successful as they could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's their fault. So, and it's the choice that they, that is the bed that they've decided to lay in and good luck for you. So, um, and it's, and I'm so frustrated talking about it because I love DC characters and I love DC comics and I want these movies to be great. Um, and the movie that was the greatest that's come out of all time for me for comic book movies, they're like, eh, we don't want any more of that. So whatever, release the air cut. Um, Hmm. guys, before we get out of here, let everybody know where they can find you. Tristan, where can people find you other than house lights? Uh, well, you can direct all your hate mail at, at Kessel junkie on Twitter. Um, if you really, if you just, if you just want to talk to me, uh, you can go to at the insane Robin on, um, on letterbox as well as twitter and please uh as we've talked about you know like house lights we're really john and i are really proud of this show we have a lot of fun doing it and we we take one director and then analyze and dissect every single movie of theirs if their filmography is too big we cut it down by decade or by some other method we try to make it a bite-sized or ways that you can digest it uh but also not by bastardizing it so please check us out by going to the nerdparty.com you can also find me on a, a Star Trek show that's coming up again soon. Season two is starting this month because it's called Second Contact, a lower decks pot commentary podcast. And I'm very excited to start that up again with the release of season two of Lower Decks. So please check that out. Check that out by going to the nerdparty.com. You can find me uh, as Castle Junkie. Uh, when you want to have nice measured conversations about the Suicide Squad, you can find me on Letterboxd and, and Twitter. And uh, again, all hate mail to at the Insane Robin. And you can find me, aside from House Lights, over on the Nerd Party Network, co-hosting a very special kind of Star Wars show called Aggressive Negotiations. And my co-host on that show is none other than Matthew Rushing. Well, guys, uh, appreciate you guys both being here. Um, it's been a lot of fun to have you back and to be able to talk about this with you. And, you know, hopefully, uh, Tristan, you're actually going to be back uh, in a few weeks. We're going to be talking about The Mummy uh, and then The Mummy <laughs> I, I 2 coming up here. That. I'm going to have to watch it <laughs> I know, I know. But I'm so, I'm so excited about it because um, I haven't seen those movies in a long while, and I've just got them on 4K, and I'm ready to watch them again, so I can't wait. Uh, but uh, if you want to, you know, catch up with me on social media. I would love it. Matt Rushing Zero Two all over the place. Just find me there. Um, I mean, you know, if you want to throw me your hate, that's fine. I just probably won't respond. But um, you can also find me here on the network doing literary treks in the orb. Literary treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. The orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, and of course, Snyder Cuts here in the same feed as the 602 Club, where John and I walked through everything that Zack Snyder has directed, which was an absolute blast. It's where John became a Snyder fan. So if you want to see how that happens, you really got to listen to this show. It's it's fantastic. Uh, and then I'm over on the Nerd Party Network. Not only do I do aggressive negotiations with the great John Mills, but I did Owl Post with Drea Kaufman, which is a show I'm really proud of as we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series. One of the best One Harry Potter shows at a time out there. One of the best Harry Thank Potter you. shows Thank out there. You. If you are a Harry Potter fan of the movies or of the books, doesn't matter. And if you've read the books or not, read along. If not, re- watch, listen to it. it. It's it's fantastic, guys. Like I, it is. I know that it, it's just. I know I'm biased, but 
it's it's a great show and it's evergreen you can you re- listen to it at your own pace yeah no i uh, thank you for saying that it really is it's a show that anybody can go back and listen to uh, i've had listeners say they've listened to it multiple times you know uh, going through the series with us but uh it is it is definitely something that i'm very proud of and and was a love letter to uh, a series that i continue to love to this day so but everyone thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now you hear 